9 a.m. Okay. okay, welcome to the Truth to Power Show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, VJR Nathan, and with us today is co-host Bruce Whitaker. Welcome, Bruce. Hey, good morning, VJ. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. And our special guest is Jacob Moses. He is a poet and spoken word artist from Staten Island, New York. He uh, penned the book uh, Seance and previously penned the books And the Will Smiled and Art Therapy 101. Publications featuring his poetry span the globe. Countries include USA, Canada, UK, Ireland, France, the Netherlands, Ukraine, Bangladesh, India, Nigeria, Singapore, and Thailand. Um, yeah, so welcome, Jacob. Thank you for having me, Vijay. And uh, Bruce, nice meeting you. <laughs> thank you, thank you. So why don't we start the conversation off with uh, talking about Seance, your new book, which just was released from, uh, I think, it was a Cyberwit or... Cyberwit, yes. Cyberwit publications, yeah. So why don't we start the conversation with Seance and what what, uh, what was the... Tell us a little bit about the process of writing the book and what was the thesis or the uh, place in which it sits, yeah? Okay. Seance was a product of last... Well, past, this past April. I participate in something called National Poetry Writing Month 30 and 30, Napa Remo. It's the challenge where people, for those of you who don't know, write 30 poems within the span of 30 days. And uh, this particular book has 18 poems from that process. And I came up with Seance because I had, I was just looking through my photos and I saw this one photo of candles that were around this one big candle five candles around one big candle and i was just trying to think of like an appropriate title for the book and it just seemed kind of kismet for me to name it seance because it was released the same day of my father's memorial uh, it was released on june 11th 2020 and my father died June 11th, 2013. So it was almost as if I kind of had a supernatural experience when it got released. Mm-hmm. Just interesting, yeah. Amazing with that. Yeah, I noticed it was it's very contemporary because it mentions uh, COVID a couple of times. So it was written very recently and under the seemed to be under the shadow of, you know, of uh, of the experiences related to the pandemic. Absolutely. Absolutely. I explored a number of different elements of that, the isolation element of it, and also being an essential worker during COVID and basically putting myself on the front lines. I work as a counselor at a Jewish group home, and I was going through a lot of apprehension during that time being an essential worker and at the same time being fearful especially being fearful in an area where people are not necessarily as informed as they could be about some of the hazards of covid people not wearing their masks and congregating it can be stressful but i did go through a number of different trials during this period and let's just be real april the pandemic was heightening it was going to be something that was definitely going to be heavy on my mind during this particular process 
How did you find writing a poem every day? Was that, uh, uh, what kind of challenges or opportunities did you find in that, uh, setting that uh, standard for yourself? Well, to be perfectly honest, there were plenty of times where I was writing on, in some cases, two poems, and in one case, three poems in one day. There were just certain times where the muse just mm. kept hitting me. Mm. And it was very, very interesting just to get hit like that, to just have all of these different pieces of information around me. And in this case, I managed to complete Napo Remo in about three weeks. Mm. Yeah. Mm. There have been times where I've completed it in two weeks. Oh, wow. And do you find, uh, do you write from prompts or do you kind of, do poems come to you or what, or a combination? What, what, how do you tend to? Uh, it's definitely thoughts? a combination. It's definitely a combination. A lot of the book, a lot of the poems in seance do follow certain poetic formats. Many of them rhyme, which I'm not always used to doing. And there are going to be plenty of times where during Napa Remo, I'm going to look through a whole bunch of different websites just to get prompts and get ideas for writing. And mm. in seance, I talk about COVID-19. I also talk about my issues with bipolar disorder, talk about different elements of nostalgia, like from the 80s. Yeah. Out of the 80s. So it seems like one of the themes of the quarantine is also remembering self-care, remembering, um, you know, empathy. We were talking a little bit about uh, what essential truths do you find you discovered that um, a truth that you find you discovered that is undervalued by society in general. So tell us a little bit about that and how you discovered these truths and 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 how you embody them or how you try to ha allow them to empower you. Sure. I feel that empathy is one of those qualities that is more or less fallen by the wayside. And I think some of it can be, some of it can be attributed to our current political scene, our current state of discourse. People are a lot angrier these days. People are a lot more hostile, especially on social media when it comes to our president and the type of standard that he is setting. And I feel that we have gotten to a point where we have basically dehumanized each other. Mm. We've gotten to a point where our political beliefs have really become our identities. And it's scary in some ways because we know what our values are. And it just kind of sucks because we know what our values are, but we're not exactly sure what the values are of other people. And we get to a point where we see each other's values as being real identifiers of how people manifest love, how people conduct their day-to-day -day lives, how people treat other people. And... Anybody who pays attention to the news will know that this, these are very extraordinary times in a number of different ways. Whether it be COVID, whether it be racial and 
social injustice really being put into the limelight, as well as our economic crises, as well as our environmental crises. We've got a number of different things going on, and I consider it very fortunate that this show is called Truth to Power, because I feel that there's a lot of truth that needs to come into the forefront, that needs to be put into the spotlight, especially when lies are running like the bulls in Pamplona. Yeah, yeah. And also I noticed uh, one of the answers we were talking a little bit about, um, again, about this truth and we were and the works that influenced us. And you talked a little bit about how the universe is inspiring to work in your favor, how you discovered that. Uh, so tell us a little bit about how, I mean, there's something definitely that I think about, like, you know, when we think about our mind creating reality, our mind creating the, the universe, uh, co-creating this phenomena that we see out there and how we're kind of participating in the creation of the world and how and how that connects to the universe conspiring in your favor or in our favor well i got that from paulo coelho's the alchemist and i remember i had wanted to read that book for a while and then i finally went to barnes and noble saw it on a display table picked it up and that was such a key component of that book, knowing that no matter what kind of trials you go through in life, don't lose the faith, don't lose the belief that you are not put on this earth to suffer throughout every element of your life and about how things need to be manifested in your favor, not just from your own actions, but also to trust that the universe is working with you. And I've really had to readjust my thinking. I've definitely been very pessimistic in the past. I am someone who does go through very deep depressions. And I've, especially since I've been writing seance, I've really been making it a point to put that belief into practice. I've really wanted to make it a point to believe that this book is a book that is worth reading, that this book is worth patronizing and that my poetry is speaking a different volume than maybe some of my other books have this particular collection <coughs> excuse me this particular collection is a lot more refined in its candor I would probably say that it's a little bit more organized. It definitely seems to me that the work in here works well on page and on stage. I think that in this case, it was definitely intended for page reading, but I have performed many of these poems at open mics and they've been pretty well received, which I'm glad about. Maybe this is a good time to hear a poem from the book. Gladly, okay. gladly. So Seance here has 18 poems in it. And I'm gonna start with this one. My original name, I think it was mentioned is Jack M. Friedman. That's my given name. And this poem is called Genesis of Jacob. It was included in a Napo Remo anthology, which was put out by Aurora's and Blossom's Poetry Journal. 
and it explores the transition between me having using my real name to write poetry and then getting signed to a book contract and changing my name to Jacob Moses. So here it goes, Genesis of Jacob. On the pink moon, I left behind a dozen years of instability. A tribe was born for every year I tossed insanity into the forge. Each tribe possessed a gift rising from these sacrifices. My darkness illuminated by the rising sun of Reuben, my walls excavated through subterfuge of Simeon. My heart protected through visions of Levi, my weakness absolved via the lion's heart of Judah. <clears throat> my justice calibrated through the scales of Dan, my kindness liberated by the doe of Naphtali. My community connected with the tents of God, my peace harvested within the olives of Asher. My universe explored through observations of Issachar. My finances supplemented by the travels of Zebulun. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> my dreams realized through many prophecies of Joseph. My sacrifices rationed through the appetite of Benjamin indiscretions, sacrileges, lamentations, transgressions. I become the genesis in which my evolution tells me that Jacob is who I must be. I await the exodus in which my revolution tells me that Israel is who I must embody. I am the healing force who dwells in gardens inherently nourished. I am the poet who has survived long enough to scribe his legacy. Mm. Thank you, thank you. <coughs> oh, wow. Yeah. <coughs> so that draws upon the 12 tribes of Israel and kind of evokes that as a framework for the transition you were talking about. Beautiful. Absolutely, absolutely. Because it also represents the 12 years that I spent using my real name on Facebook. I deleted my Facebook last year and 51 days later, I came back on Facebook as Jacob Moses. And yeah. it was like a Phoenix rising sort of thing. And just thinking about how over those 12 years that I had had that account, I had had so many different experiences that frankly, I didn't always want to have documented. Mm that as a person with a diagnosis, specifically bipolar disorder, as someone who has experienced loss, especially, I didn't necessarily want to look back and think about all of the status messages I left that were a direct reaction to my father dying. Mm -hmm. And many of those were pretty unstable in nature. So I'm kind of trying to keep a different candor about myself, just kind of keep a different set of morals about me and let my spirit guide me through this new identity that I have in my books, in my performances, and in my 
social media presence. So talking a little bit about uh, what you hope your audience will get from your writing, uh, I know that you wanted to share that they're not alone in their struggles. So tell us a little bit about how art has helped you to process all of this and how you hope that your, your poetry will help others to process their own struggles. Yeah. Well, I've talked pretty extensively about my struggles in my poetry. I've been in the scene for going on 18 years now. Um, September 12th is my poet birthday. <laughs> yeah, I started uh, doing spoken word in on September 12th, 2002, a year and a day after 9-11 because I just couldn't keep my friggin' mouth shut for that long. <laughs> and... Uh, it's been a very interesting ride because I've written about politics. I've written about erotic experiences and especially I have written about some of the struggles that I have gone through as a person with bipolar disorder. And I have gone to readings and I have read at readings where people have told me how much they didn't feel as alone as they did before they heard my writing. Mm. And it's, it's gratifying to me. It's really gratifying to me because not everybody has the tools to be able to truly express how they really feel. And not everybody necessarily has the words. And sometimes I don't even have the words, but plenty of times I'll just sit down and start writing. The words will pour out. And I get a lot of gratification when those words are saying the thoughts that people just don't necessarily have the wherewithal to express. Like, there'll be plenty of feelings that can not be summarized in one English word, you know? Mm. And so, that being said, the metaphors, they will carry through. And those metaphors will be of, I guess you could say they'd be in the nature of really saying the things that people just don't necessarily know how to say. Yeah. Where are some of your favorite venues? Where do you most often perform or, or attend readings and things like that? Well, it's been difficult, you know, with COVID now and all of the cafes being closed, but I owe a lot of my gratitude to a cafe in Staten Island called The Muddy Cup. And it's no longer operating. It's been under a number of changes and now it's just blockaded. But uh, the Muddy Cup is where I started doing open mics, and that was back in 2002. Since then, it became the Cup, the Phoenix Cup, the Full Cup, and then it became the Hashtag Bar, and then it closed down. And there was a cafe called Doozer's Local, which opened up across the street from the old site. Unfortunately, due to COVID, that wound up closing down as well. So, so mostly, I owe a lot of I owe yeah. a lot of my gratitude to that area, Van Duster Street. Yeah. So in Staten Island has been the venue you've most the area you've most often performed in. Then. Yeah. Um, 
most mostly Staten Island. I've also performed in Brooklyn and Manhattan. And I definitely have to give a shout out to Gamba Forest. I've performed there numerous times, and uh, it, it it's a do-it-yourself art space. It's been in a number of different locations. It's been in Bushwick. It's been in East Williamsburg and Williamsburg and. It's gone through a number of different transitions, and I definitely have to give thanks to Melissa Hunter Gurney and Chris Carr who keep it operating. And it's really beautiful that there have been so many different places where poets are valued. I, you know, it's not often that you find places where, you know, poets and musicians and artists coexist, at least on Staten Island anyway. It always seems like the poets are an always on the highest rung of the totem pole. So when I go to a place where poets are highly celebrated and valued, it's it's really just validating. Mm. Yeah. So as I remind listeners, this is the Truth to Power show on Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, I'm VJR Nathan. I'm with Bruce Whitaker and featured guest Jacob Moses. We're talking a little bit about the book Seance and his other writings. Um, so why don't we go a little bit into some of your other writings then as well and give a little context for, um, you wrote the book Art Therapy 101. Uh, tell yes. us a little bit about that book and how it connects to, how it kind of positions itself as uh, in your uh, context of your work, yeah. Art Therapy 101 was a book that I used to process some of the emotions I was going through after my dad died. It focused on some of the symbols that would come up from being in therapy. Mm. I was studying art therapy, but I was also attending art therapy in the interim during my internship. It was recommended by my internship director that I start seeing an art therapist and did a lot of drawings, did a lot of paintings and many of the poems in there are inspired by symbols that came up and some of them included mushrooms, roses, lions, snakes, a lot of different individual symbols came up. And the cool thing about that book is that there's a word search at the end of the book. There's no word bank. The only thing is that you basically have to search for the words that are embodied within the poems in the book. Mm. And I think it's something that I just wanted to make a little bit interactive. So, and, yeah. yeah. So art therapy, what, um, what are some of you, you're a practitioner in this, you have been part of it in many ways. And I think a lot of us have uh, who write or who draw or paint also do the other and work with it across different media and so on. Um, what have you seen with art therapy? What are its kind of benefits or what are the aspects of it that you feel are really effective? I feel that there are going to be plenty of things that people are not necessarily going to be able to put into words when they're doing talk therapy. And so I feel that art therapy helps fill in some of the gaps that people don't necessarily know how to verbalize or don't necessarily, 
I consider it to be an aid in being able to heal because many of us as poets and artists and writers and all forms of creative media, we're basically doing it for our own healing. And we want to encourage people to use that media to help themselves heal, to help put language into emotions that many struggle to express. And it's interesting because there are some, I, I would look at so many different websites that include words in different languages that express such complex thoughts and complex emotions. And it's almost as if art is another complex emotion that really the English language doesn't always have the word for. Do you, um, how do you structure a, a, a session? Do you ask people to make work around a premise or ask a question or um, how do you kind of open things up through the, the art media that you work with? Well, currently I'm not working as an art therapist. Currently I'm working as a counselor, but I have made it a point to incorporate art into being a counselor. There will be plenty of times where I may give a prompt like for art or for poetry and it will really be helpful. One prompt that I've often given is to think of a prized possession of some form or a toy or a game from someone's childhood to keep mm. that in mind. And then to write three to five adjectives describing this toy, game, possession, whatever you choose to make the subject. And then the further prompt comes in where you think of the title and the title includes I am and one of those adjectives. And then you just do a jumping point from there. And the basic premise of that is think about the thing that you admire about this possession and then think about how you embody that possession. Mm. Mm. Fabulous. Interesting, Fascinating. Interesting. Mm. Yeah, thank you. And uh, one question I want to ask you is, uh, speaking of like beliefs and practices, uh, what belief or practice do you have that is strange or unpopular within your industry? And you can take that industry word in any way you'd like, you know. Well, I'm sorry, could you repeat the question? What uh, belief or practice do you find that you have is strange or unpopular within your within the spoken word community or within the art therapy community or within the counselor community any of these communities what, what do you what do you believe or practice that is on like a little little unusual for your field hmm well i think it's definitely a very interesting question and i do need to give that a little bit of thought I feel that self-disclosure is one of those things that sometimes seems to be unpopular. I know that there are going to be plenty of times in the mental health community where people are, who are practicing are not going to be encouraged to disclose their own issues and situations, but I do it. And I typically do it just so that I seem and appear relatable to the people with whom I'm working. Mm. 
Yeah, I think it's good. I personally I think it's good to connect uh, and to, and I think in this these kind of venues or these kinds of uh, things, it's good to connect and make and show that you're human as a counselor. Yeah, definitely that, that I've. Yeah, that I'm not just sitting here just preaching that mm. I'm not a virgin to life, you know, mm. and I think more people need to understand that we are human beings, that we're not people who are just sitting here, just doling advice to people that we are people. Mm. And what about uh, successes and failures? Uh what are some of the significant successes? What are the significant failures in your life that you think about that really are markers for your journey? Well, I think many of my successes do involve degrees that I've received from college. I graduated with an associate's in advertising, a bachelor's in communications, and a certificate in art therapy. Mm. I think one thing that came to mind is I did have a publishing company at one point and that wound up going under. So that was, I guess you could say a failure. I think there was a success that came out of it though, because part of the reason it failed was because I had an addiction issue and April of last year, I got sober. I was, very dependent on benzodiazepines and that was a very horrific withdrawal process but i'm 17 months sober now and it's a beautiful thing excellent, excellent. Mm. thank you thank you and i think this another success that came out of that is that i was working on this anthology project and that eventually became a collection called the revolution and that was put out by me and uh, my friend who co-owns a new media group with me called KOA Media. KOA stands for Kingdom of All. And we put out this uh, anthology back in November of last year. I can't forget the date. It was November 23rd, 1123 Fibonacci. Very big with numbers. <laughs> and, <laughs> And uh, it was very successful. We managed to get 41 different people to contribute 40 different pieces of art and writing. And it really is a nice collection. Well, really was, is. The title was Revolution, The Revolution. What was the kind of call? What were you uh, looking for? And, and how did you put it together? Well, I think that many people who saw that title wanted to contribute something that had to do with society and dissenting against certain elements of society, whether it be the heavy-handed implementation of religion or racism or sexuality. A lot of people that I knew took very kindly to that. And we at KOA want to do future anthologies that embrace the diversity that comes along with subjects that are discouraged from being discussed at the dinner table. So you had the revolution which dealt with politics. We hope to have something called the revival which deals with 
religion and spirituality. We would want to encourage people of all faiths, all religions, all spiritual practices to contribute to a stone soup of different belief systems. There's another one that I also want to do called the raw and which deals with sexuality and Ideally, I'd like to have things included that deal with fetishes, that deal with sexual, political issues, etc. Hmm. This might be a good time. We were talking before the show about one of the texts you enjoy a lot, which I also value highly, the Desiderata, mm. kind of as a, a vessel for all these things together. Would you mind... Uh, reading to us or reciting to us the Desiderata? Gladly, gladly. Before I begin, I just want to say that it does have a very strong significance in my life. I remember I was dating someone and they introduced me to it and it just stuck with me. Um, afterwards, I remember just reading it compulsively ever since I was introduced to it. And that was 12 years ago. Uh, when my best friend died, I left a scroll that I had on my wall in his casket. And I also recited it at my father's funeral two years after that. So this is a very important poem to me. And I think it's a very important poem for humanity. It was written by Max Sermon in 1927 and recorded by Les Crane in, I believe, 1971. So this is Desiderata. Go placidly amid the noise and haste and remember what peace there may be in silence. As far as possible without surrender, be on good terms with all persons. Speak your truth quietly and clearly and listen to others. Even the dull and ignorant, they too have their story. Avoid loud and aggressive persons. They are vexations to the spirit. If you compare yourself with others, you may become vain and bitter. For always there will be greater and lesser persons than yourself. Enjoy your achievements as well as your plans. Keep interested in your own career, however humble. It is a real possession in the changing fortunes of time. Exercise caution in your business affairs, for the world is full of trickery. But let this not blind you to what virtue there is. Many persons strive for high ideals, and everywhere life is full of heroism. Be yourself. Especially do not feign affection. Neither be cynical about love, for in the face of all aridity and disenchantment, it is as perennial as the grass. Take kindly the counsel of the years, gracefully surrendering the things of youth. Nurture strength of spirit to shield you in sudden misfortune, but do not distress yourself with dark imaginings. Many fears are born of fatigue and loneliness beyond the wholesome discipline. Be gentle with yourself. You are a child of the universe, no less than the trees and the stars. You have a right to be here. And whether or not it is clear to you, no doubt 
the universe is unfolding as it should. Therefore, be at peace with God, whatever you conceive him to be. And whatever your labors and aspirations and the noisy confusion of life, keep peace with your soul, with all its sham, drudgery, and broken dreams. It is still a beautiful world. Be cheerful. Strive to be happy. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. You know, it makes me think you know, it came from the 1920s. And um, there's a, you know, we're in this new decade. We, it's already had such an auspicious start. And there's a kind of contemporariness about that uh, piece that I know having grown up when it was first uh, came out in, in popular culture in the 70s, it felt very relevant then, but it suddenly feels like it was written today. You know, the, the kind, the way it, uh, typifies society was probably perennially true, but it feels especially true now. And uh, absolutely, it's uh, thank you for that. And thank you for bringing that back to mind. That's uh, uh, something that's very comforting right now and inspiring. Absolutely. I've loved that poem for so long. And I think the one thing that I can always appreciate about it is that it does have such a timeless quality to it that it does touch upon issues that have been present in our world and our society since the dawn of time and our civilization mm. since the dawn of time. Yeah, and I think it's just like a nice affirmation yeah, to just keep going. And I think also it's like, uh, there's so many philosophical viewpoints in which the person, the individual is, is shown as being lacking as being needing others and and a constant sense of self-improvement it's really an affirmation that we're doing well that the universe is um you know kind of you know as you we were talking about before about the alchemist the universe is conspiring in our favor in this in this way it talks about it's a beautiful world that we're children of the universe uh that we're kind of uh in a sense uh beautiful beings and that remembering that beauty remembering connecting with that beauty connecting with that essential truth that we are children of the universe is so important because you know so many people want to uh you know kind of access our lacking that we're lacking something and try to provide us with the product that will um satisfy that lack yeah mm. what do you think about Absolutely. that and what do you think about kind of this need for dependence you know and all these kinds of themes of uh that we're, we're that we're strong as we are. Was mm. invoking you? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's heavy in some ways. It really is heavy in some ways, and heavy in a good way. Yeah, yeah, because it's like the responsibility of that beauty, that responsibility of that. I know. I, I struggle a lot with whether or not whether or not we're doing what the work we're doing, you know, in the world, and yet at the same time. You know what is the what is the uh, calling we each have to work in the world to do things for our fellow man, and you're someone who definitely is reaching out to the community. You're someone who's helping others. You're someone who is helping themselves as well, healing in this healing process, and kind of recontextualizing healing as being something as that is the work we have to do in order to heal the wounds of the world, and whether or not, and yet at the same time, we're all 
kind of children of the universe that are beautiful and perfect as we are. So, and that, that, that uh, duality that we're um, powerful and beings that we're limitless beings. And at the same time, we're doing the work to heal. We're doing the work to connect. We're doing the work to mend fences, as it were. Uh, and how do we reconcile that duality? I think that the interesting thing about it is that the pain that we go through is what makes us human. And being able to realize our own beauty is what we just genuinely feel is, we, I, I believe that the healing that we need to do is to realize our own beauty. I think that just basically sums it up. To realize that we are meant to be on this planet, that we are meant to serve a purpose and that's really where the healing comes in to truly realize that we do have this beauty within us. And so that duality in reality just exists in ourselves, but that the wholeness comes along with embracing the entirety of ourselves. Yeah, it seems like there's the ego, which is the self that we normally identify with, that person who is going around in the world and and has an identity and has a relationship with uh, a job and a situation. And then there's a deeper awareness of self that comes up, that deeper self that is connected to the children of the universe, that is connected to our traditions and our, and our, um, you know, our lineage uh, that is more powerful. And we need to kind of allow that part of ourselves to act in this world rather than our ego or limited self or our selfish self or our, you know self-identified self that is that is really kind of the the puppet if you will of these of these you know yes. these uh consumerist culture this uh this uh kind of driven money driven culture that that is knee-jerk reacting in this as you're talking about the contemporary culture and contemporary people are being so divisive and angry. We were talking a little bit about at the top of the show. Um, so that is coming from maybe from the ego perspective, you know? And what do you think 100%. about that? And how does your faith in Judaism, tell us a little bit more about how that informs you and in what way and how you relate with that and, and how that kind of comes into play, yeah? In regards to Judaism, I've always had a Jewish identity even while practicing the occult. And I feel it from a cultural perspective, an ethnic perspective, and a spiritual perspective as well as religiously identifying as such. I've felt, especially while studying Kabbalah and this particular book, Sefer Yitzirah, um, it's really just given me a lot of tools to be able to navigate myself, navigate some of the ego traps that anybody can fall into and that I've fallen into. And the one thing that I've come to, the one conclusion that I've come to is that, say, for example, in the realm of love, we oftentimes try to think about like what kind of needs we can have satisfied, what we look for in a person and how they can satisfy our needs. One way to shift that paradigm would be to think about 
what do we already have? What are the things that we have? What are the things that we can provide? And not so much think about the things that we're lacking. Mm. Yeah, yeah. We're talking to Jacob Moses, whose book, um, The uh, Seance, is available. Jacob, could you tell us where to connect with the book or where to connect with more of your work? Yes, all of my books are available on Amazon. That's And the Wiggles Smiled, Art Therapy 101, and of course, Seance. They are all available on Amazon. They are also available through my publisher, cyberwit.net. I definitely have to give thanks to uh, the man who recruited me, Karnesh Kumar Agarwal. And he recruited me after I got published in, what do you call it? What's the name? Oh yeah, the Taj Mahal Review. Mm-hmm. I had a poem published in there and he recruited me. He said, Hey, I'd like to publish a book by you. And it took me a few months before I decided to do that. I really wanted to have a fresh concept. And so before I wrote and the book smiled, I had done Naparima that year and picked 12 poems from that collection. And it got included in this book. And so from there it's, it's just been like a nice ride from there. But yeah, they're available on cyberwit.net and they are available on Amazon. Thank you, thank you. Jacob so, This is the Truth to Power show, so on Radio Free Brooklyn. So I just want to bring up the themes of the show, uh, talking a little bit about, you know, the personal is political and speaking truth to power, or embodying truth in power, uh, and get you a little bit of perspective on those phrases and that kind of mentality or philosophy and how you interpret that or how you state that as a way of being. And um, specifically, we can take them one at a time or you can take them together. Uh, so talking about truth to power and talking about the personal is political um, mm. as being thematics for the show and thematics for and kind of essential truths, I think, that I've discovered over the years. And I want to be able to share that with my guests. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. And I'd... Uh... I have a perfect example of that. (laughs) After there's one date that will always stick out to me, and that's June 12th, 2016, which was the day or of the Pulse nightclub shootings. And it was during that time where I was very, very heavily heartbroken and being queer it definitely made me reevaluate a lot of the things that I was going through personally. And it did make me think about the things that were going on politically. We were in an election year. We eventually got Trump as president and that's a whole other can of worms right there. But one thing that I did that year was I was studying to get a confirmation. And in Judaism, a confirmation involves leading a service, chanting the Ten Commandments from the Torah, and giving something called a Devar Torah, which in this case was a commentary on one of the Ten Commandments. The one that I picked was, um, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Or in Hebrew, and I picked that one because we were in such 
tumultuous times. I conducted this, I believe, on May 30th, 2017. It was Memorial Day weekend, and it was the holiday of Shavuot, which celebrates when uh, Moses or Moshe received the, the uh, Torah from God. And all I know is that during that time, I was talking about many different elements of telling the truth. And I did use speaking truth to power as a theme of that commentary. I had talked about the Pulse nightclub shootings and, you know, in a religious setting, it can sometimes be taboo and anathema to talk about someone's sexual preference, but there was so much going on back then that there were concentration camps in Chechnya where gay men were kept. And I talked a little bit about that. I shared some quotes from Rashi, a Jewish scholar and philosopher, uh, the Rambam, AKA Maimonides. And I'd even shared a quote from John Lennon that sticks with me to this very day. That quote being, um, being honest won't get you, I'm paraphrasing here, being honest won't get you the most friends, but it'll certainly get you the right ones. And I stay true to that because, you know, in a day where people get offended by other people's political beliefs and people will get blocked and unfriended, and I'm kind of guilty of that sometimes. We need to get to a point where we need to just kind of narrow in on relationships where people do respect our honesty, where people do respect our ability to speak our truths in the words of Max Ehrman, quietly and clearly. Yeah. And I feel that at times we got to get loud. We definitely need to get loud in a case like this because there's so much injustice happening in this world. We need to get loud. Yeah, it seems like as you're talking a little bit about dehumanization and how people's lives are, are people's uh, way of life is being dehumanized. But I think that um, what we need to understand is fighting for the rights of people, for their, uh, their, their personal choices and respecting privacy, respecting their personal lives, their process. Uh, that everyone has a different process, everyone has a different way of being, and we have right. to be able to respect that. And I think Absolutely. that we've gone to a point where we're, um, dehumanization has become like a political opinion, where it's like, oh, my opinion is that we should, you know, kind of imprison people based on their, their process, which is very, that's not, that's not a political opinion. That's like, you know, going beyond political opinion to outright injustice and in, and in, uh, in humanity, you know. Yeah, I think the challenge now is that many people hold political opinions that call for the destruction of their opponents. Exactly, um, exactly, yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. so opinion is, is, is a very tricky word now. I, I think we see on each side of our polarized country sees the other as a lethal enemy. Um, yeah. You know, lifestyles, power bases, um, you know, the, the culture that they spent 400 years building or fighting are all at stake right now. And that, yeah. the, the, so this, this issue of respect for other people, how do you respect someone who is targeting you? 
yeah. and wants Ooh. to take you down. You know, and your what, way of life, where and does your whole this way of being, yeah, respect for that come? Where, you need to, but that it's a whole different dimension. And many of us are really fighting right now to find a way to to do that. It's so easy just to cancel. It's easy to defriend if if, if they were really friends in the first place. You know, that's uh, exactly that's the other issue. Uh, but people, our families are breaking apart. Um, you know, there there are lots of lots of very hard conversations in a polarized time. The challenge of all of our fundamental politenesses, and uh, and it's as it plays out as the reaction, the 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 progress, reaction, backlash, play back and forth. It's just becoming an escalating uh, crisis of understanding and absolutely. Absolutely. And I think there have been these divides since the dawn of civilization. It's just become so magnified now, mm. especially considering that we are living under a government that thrives on division, that thrives on creating such dissonance within our society. Yeah. And people definitely have very extreme opinions about this. Some people feel empowered by the rhetoric. Some people want to tear it down. Some people are just sick and tired of all the noise. And I know that one thing that I've definitely navigated in my own relationships and in my own friendships is just me being baffled by how anybody could just be so Pollyanna in a case like this, or in the words of Blanche Devereaux, empty-headed Mary Poppins knockoffs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. That's just my personal yeah. opinion. I just don't understand how people can be comfortable when we have such division in our society. I, I, I really don't understand it and trying to navigate my friendships it's like i'm not necessarily damning people for their political beliefs because if it was just political beliefs that would be one thing yeah they have but it's all this humanity that really does get to me it just displays to me how much people are willing to overlook yeah in order to be right yeah also it seems like when policy becomes persecution that's when it really crosses a line when, you know, where it's okay to flaunt convention and, and kind of uh, disrupt, uh, disrupt the kind of way in which we approach uh, hum humanity, you know, all this kind of stuff. Then, then uh, and the way in which um, the administration has been approaching, um, you know, ethics and uh, approaching uh, ethical behavior is very problematic and we that's not just like a question of you know oh, i think that zoning law should be such and such or whatever it is political opinions like that you know these are really a question of human humanity's opinions and and humanness sure. yeah but i just want to quickly jump in here with saying we're listening to radio free brooklyn radio for brooklyn is 501c3 profit organization uh we rely primarily on, on donations and listeners like you so you can give one-time donation or monthly pledge. Go to radioforbooking.org slash donate. If you enjoyed this show, you want to keep it on the air, uh, there you'll find at radioforbooking.org slash donate, you'll find uh, great t-shirts, mugs, and other swag. 
they would like to send you as thanks. Um, you can also donate by going to uh, by texting uh, using your phone, texting RFB Give Five to four four three two one, and it only takes a minute, and you'll be able to use your digital wallet. Finally, if you shop on Amazon, you can go to Amazon.com/smile and register, ready for booking as the nonprofit you wish to support. So go ahead and go there, and then you can order uh, some of Jacob Moses's books. Um, as well as donate to Ready for Brooklyn. No donation is too big or too small. Whatever you can afford will make a big difference. If you're listening over your computer under the Listen Live button, you can also go to the mobile apps and download it so you can have free access during your through your phone uh, for iPhone and Android in their respective Play stores. And finally, um, if you'd like to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for the latest news about new programming upcoming RFB events, you can sign up at readyforbrooklyn.org slash newsletter. Okay, thank you. So well, we're about two minutes out, two, two, like about two minutes out to uh, the end. Um, if you'd like to say any final thoughts, Jacob, if you have any final thoughts, uh, to where to direct people to follow you and all this kind of stuff? Absolutely. I am on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Jacob Moses Poet. I am also on Instagram at JacobMoses81. I have copies of Seance on me. And uh, anybody who would want to order it directly through me can access my cash app, which is cash tag JacobMoses81. I plan on having a release party on Zoom on September 12th, my 18-year poet birthday. <laughs> it's going to be at 8 p.m., Eastern time. I want to just specify that because I do have fans in India. So that would be 6 a.m. Indian time. No, wait. 9, 10, 11, 12, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Uh, yeah, 6 a.m. Indian time or 600 hours. Yeah. Oh, 600 hours Indian time. And uh, I guess that's about it. I know that, you know, I'm really looking forward to doing this. I plan on having an open mic after the reading and a Q&A session. And I want to make it as inclusive as possible. Also, I should mention people who come in, I'm going to be doing a door prize. And the door prize is going to be a bundle featuring three of my books under Jacob Moses. I should also mention that I have a book under my real name, Jack M. Friedman, called Tobias, which I released back in 2016 and is currently in its third edition. Excellent. And that's Thank also that on Amazon. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been really great talking to you. And I think yeah, that thank uh, you. it's been a very lively thank conversation. You. Thank you so much for that. And people can listen in every Monday at 8 a.m. Uh, on radioforbrooklyn.org or .com, uh, either one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then uh, slash shoot to power to find our archive. So we'll archive this in about five days. So thanks so much. Thank you for having me, Vijay and Bruce. I appreciate it. Have a great this. holiday. Happy Labor Day. Happy yeah. Labor Day. Thank you. I'll be working.